0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Lainey. Hey, it's Joanna. Welcome to Show Your Work. We're here and back. And I'm staring at your fucking amazing hair. Oh, I mean, that's very kind. We actually haven't addressed the hair since the cut did that, is this haircut for real article right. about the 2019 shag, is that what we're calling it? The yeah, 70s it, lop? I got a the shag complete with a, you know, a curtain
1: bang hours before that article came out right. and then I laughed forever.
0: Yes. Um, is it for real? Uh, I'm here to say it is for real. I have already said on the site that it is for real. It's spectacular on you. Um, I would like to claim credit for you because you were, like, ahead of this by three months where, you know, we on this show were talking about, I mean, you introduced it as a, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to do a, the 70s thing. And then… The stars aligned, all this is happening and Daisy Jones happened and you are essentially Daisy Jones.
1: I feel real good about it, Um, minus Daisy's, you know, less savory qualities, Uh, stay tuned for more at a point in the future. But uh, yeah, no, I feel real good about it. I've yet to wear a Jenny Slate curly, mm-hmm. but I look forward to that. There is no greater bliss. You say you... Jenny Slate curly, I say Sandra O curly. That too. Yeah. Um, although if we're really getting technical, Sandra O on Saturday Night Live last Saturday had a much blunter curly bang mm-hmm. than I think… Uh, is than most people with this cut have. So yeah. we're talking about that Sandra O oh cut the yeah. Natasha Leon and Russian mm-hmm. doll cut. Um, but I think a lot of people wear spirals on their forehead yeah and if you notice Sandra O's and I'm interested on whether somebody got at it with like a waving iron. remember those from the yeah. 80s Yeah or uh, what the story is it was pretty uniform mm-hmm. across her forehead. Um, in a way that if you're an actor, like, I mean, my hair is in my eyes like a shaggy dog, but I only love that. But she needs her eyes to do her job. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder whether that was a, like, a stylistic choice or a choice for, you know, filming and visibility.
0: I'm very curious. Look, I'm still, Sandra Oh's hair has been, like, legendary for 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as an Asian woman with like, naturally wavy hair or,
1: you know, it's not… Sorry, are we talking about you here or her with naturally wavy hair?
0: Not… I certainly do not have naturally wavy hair, but there aren't very many Asian women with naturally wavy hair. Um, It's, like, I want to know the mysteries of it. I want to know, like, how… She… well, I just love it so much.
1: Well, and this is not meant to be a history lesson, but the very, very first thing that Sandra Oh did that was really sort of widely acclaimed was The Diary of Evelyn Lau. Mm -hmm. Evelyn Lau has curly hair. Mm -hmm. Um, The author of the book, her diaries, essentially, who Sandra Oh played, Um, she has curly hair. And so, you know, Sandra's hair would have been not a wig… In that context, which is, you know, which is exciting on lots of levels. So, yeah, she's been rocking it for a good, I can just, like a good 30 years now.
0: Um, Yeah, so your hair is
1: awesome. Well, thank you. Congratulations. I I didn't bring it up right before the podcast just so that could be our intro. (laughs) Um, But I appreciate that it was on your mind. I just want to say one thing, though, because what I was trying to get at that I that we've been talking about since we've known each other is what this hair is going to afford me is the freedom to walk out of the shower and out the door. Mm-hmm. This is your hair privilege. It is that my we learned. privilege. Yes. Uh, and one of the first times that you were like, okay, so we'll like shower and go. You're going to wash your hair? <laughs> and I was like, we're supposed to be there in half an hour. Obviously yeah. I'm not going to wash my hair.
0: And that was a big piece of news. You hate me for that. I really do. Yeah.
1: Because your hair not only is long and gorgeous and a million styles and whatnot, but it dries
0: perfectly in what, 10 minutes? It actually doesn't dry that quickly, but it gives the illusion of being dry. Right. The top part dries. Yes. The top part dries. It takes hours to dry fully, but the top part dries or it gives the illusion of being dry so that you don't walk out looking I don't walk out looking like I just came out of the shower. You yeah, I've never seen you with wet hair, including no. like seconds out yeah. of the shower. But it's one it's I will say that is my privilege. I have a hair type that holds on to moisture without looking like it's holding on to moisture. Yeah, that's nice for some. <laughs>
1: Uh, and for some of us this is
0: gonna be the summer of the shower so yeah. I'm very excited I'm very excited for this like sh- like I'm very excited for you to enjoy this hairstyle for like the next year or whenever you get bored because you will I will get bored but also it you know what it
1: does too is it lets you embrace you know this but like it lets me embrace a like a vintage style a sort of oh, a uh, so your funny jam which exactly which was yeah. already my jam yeah. To begin with, you know, sort of uh, coats I sourced from Poland and old dresses and things were made to go with this hair. So it's very gratifying because, uh, you know, I was the blonde pixie Gwyneth or whatever it is was never meant
0: for me. So I'm happy I'm having my time. I'm jealous of people like you who can start a hair trend or be right in the moment of one, you know, before it blows up. Because I find that I can't, I don't participate in hair trends. Not anymore. Like Not let's, anymore, yeah.
1: Let's tell tales on you. When <sighs> yeah. I met you first, uh-huh. your hair was just below your shoulders, yeah. and the portion that was below your shoulders was dyed platinum blonde. It was dipped blonde. Yes. You yes. were, yeah, it was probably… That was the thing to do in the early aughts. Sure. Um. And that's what you had, and that was undoubtedly chasing a trend. I wouldn't even, when we met first, I would not even have characterized you as somebody who had long hair. That's not a characteristic I would have put on you.
0: Yeah. You caught me in like a six-month thing right. where I decided not to have long hair and dip the ends. Um and, and I've seen the pictures of you with your own Gwyneth, like with the big side sweep tight yeah. bang and the
1: barrettes and the whatnot.
0: Yes. My… When I participate in them, they are, like, gimmicky fucking hair trends, not, like, great (laughs) identity-changing or identity-enhancing trends. And the one trend I'm thinking about right now that's been ongoing for about a year now is the Asian blonde trend. Mm Mm-hmm. I would love to do the Asian blonde thing, but it's just not going to happen. You don't want
1: to do that. Um, but then that brings me to something that I think we've briefly touched on. But what is it going to take, do you think, for mainstream fashion to embrace wigs? Obviously, we know that black women um, are much more familiar with using wigs or having, you know, or buying uh, hair that they yeah. want to use in a given style. But it's not considered to be part of a wardrobe the way, say, you know, a new seasonal purse is. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's going to take for us to get into wigs and, and correspondingly making them that much more affordable?
0: Well, I think the problem with wigs, having worn one recently mm-hmm. for a look, is I didn't know until I did it. Is that it's a lot of work. Like, you think you just, like, jam it over your fucking head after you put it, like, you put your hair in a ponytail. Oh, no. Theater nerds do not think that. Right. We've known. Okay, but, yes. but we've established that theater nerds are, you know, a little nerds. band yeah. of, yeah. you know, niche, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what happens for those of you who aren't theater nerds or aren't familiar is you have to, like, you know, tack down your hair.
1: Right. And, the, and I'm not trying to disagree with you in any way, but I'll also say… You have two feet of hair to tack down. Yes. And some people have less, so it's less arduous.
0: But it's also it's less arduous in like my hair would take longer to tack down, but the process is the same. And it's something that, well, I mean, some people could do it, but doing it yourself is hard. It's a pain. In like, the- think about the angle of your arms and mm-hmm. having to keep your arm I'm demoing for you right now, but keeping your arms up to braid, to like do the cornrowing or to do the twisting for I don't know how long and then to like you know secure it and whatnot, and then put the wig over it. And then that this is what people are talking about with when they talk about their edges.
1: Yeah, of course. The blending of where the wig meets the scalp yes. and making sure that it looks uh, authentic or that the hair is yeah. styled over top of it. Um, again, I have to say I'm not going to lift up my arms because uh, I'm, I did not prepare for this moment in the shower with my sleeveless top, but curly-haired women know this pain because they've been blowing it out for eons. Yeah. Uh, But yes, I I hear you. I get you. But I'm just saying I think we could be at a point, I would love a wig wardrobe. I'd love to try something out for a bit without feeling like I had to invest in that wig. Like uh, if you wanted an Asian blonde wig, that would be probably 500 bucks minimum. Mm -hmm. And that's too expensive for a trend, my opinion. or for a
0: Yeah. And then to add on the, whatever, the fee that you pay a stylist, whatever, to get the fucking thing on, plus the makeup to, like, line up the edges and to blend, as we're saying. Black women right now are listening to us and they're like, and, "And?" yeah. So, again, as always, respect to you. Absolutely. Um, And for making it look easy
1: and natural. Correct. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the moment when that becomes more than a Halloween uh, fad. Stand by for that. That'll be my next hair venture. Yes. I'll be like,
0: look at me, I'm doing wigs. For non-black women, yes. which is, you know, lifestyle and part of their daily existence and life. And of course, that's why they do it the best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's a whole other topic about… Kathleen was telling me about uh, watching the entirety of Netflix's Dating Around last yeah. time she saw her stylist. you know, because there's time to kill. Um, you have to get through a lot of things and sometimes you need Netflix to help you out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll embrace some hair trends. That might be one of them.
0: All right. Well, shall we? Let's go. Now that we've, you know, covered your hair, my I mean, hair wishes… You brought it up, the but The best I, way to start a podcast, talking about hair. It's my favorite subject, really. It, it really is. And I have <laughs> to say I'm happy to actually be able to participate. So. I love hair talk. Absolutely. Um, well, let's get right into it. This is a topic that you, um, you sent to me and you the words you wrote were, I really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, strong for you. I mean, like when we pitch ideas back and forth for this podcast, it's generally like, hey, here hey, this. Yeah, we send 100 and then we see what sticks. Yes. Um, But there are some, I do this to you, where I'm like, do this. We need to do this. And it was the same for you. I really want to talk about this. And that would be Cardi B.
1: Yeah. How come I really want to talk about doesn't land with you when it's like (laughs) musical theater? Why does it not have the same effect?
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. So Cardi B, should we just like do a be a brief backgrounder? Yeah. I mean, this is what everybody
1: knows now at this point. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a video that resurfaced of Cardi B, apparently from three years ago, uh, where Cardi is explaining uh, what she, you know, what she used to do, right? That she, in her, in her path to who she is now, would drug people in order to rob them, would you know, we knew that she was stripping, etc. But she was very honest about, that's what I used to do. Those were her comments. Yeah. And that was sort of surfaced, I think, not by her,
0: right? Like it was found. Right. People unearthed it as, you know, it happens now is, Mm -hmm. you know, they go back, they look for old videos, and then they post it. And yeah, so to your point, here's exactly what she said on the video, quote, I had to go strip, I had to go, oh, yeah, you want to fuck me? Yeah, 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 let's go to this hotel. And I drugged uh, men up and I robbed them. Um, That's what I used to do. Nothing was motherfucking handed to me. So at the time, I think her context was, here's what I had to do to survive. This was three years ago before um, Me Too went mainstream yeah before me too and before
1: i would say before cardi b went mainstream you yeah. know like this is before she was talking about politics and uh before she was you know preschooler's favorite singer with finesse and that yeah. kind of thing uh it was a
0: it was a different context to cardi b herself for sure so uh there was a lot of backlash understandably uh there was a hashtag surviving cardi b which <laughs> is a comparison, of course, between Cardi and R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of criticism. There has been cancellation. Some people are cancelling Cardi B or have cancelled Cardi B. At first, she kind of tried to sort of ride over it. Then she posted an explanation on Instagram. Um, The explanation is very long. We'll post it with the show notes. Um, But basically what she was saying was, I don't uh, condone what I did. Um, as I said, I, I had to do things back then to survive. That was the lifestyle and, you know, I can't change the past.
1: Yeah, there's a great quote, actually. She says, whether or not they were poor choices at the time, I did what I had to do to survive. The men I spoke about in my life were men that I dated, that I was involved with. Men that were conscious, willing, and aware. I have a past that I can't change. We all do. It's interesting, not to call you out, but you made a face Mm -hmm. um, as I finished that line. Yeah. uh, I have a past that
0: I can't change. We all do. Why did you make a face? Oh, it wasn't at that line. It was at the um, trying to clarify who these men were. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's the line, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, All right. So, we have received many requests from our listeners and readers to discuss this, which Um, I know you pitched it not knowing that, but there have been people who have been, some of them aggressive. You love Cardi B, so you're not just going to talk about this? Like, what, are you going to sort of uh, forget about this? Um, No, I just think that this conversation requires a little bit more nuance um, so that there are no misunderstandings. It's a scary time right now. I know this isn't exactly germane to the conversation, but, you know, people get canceled sometimes because... We are all, me too, quick to judge, and sometimes that leaves little room to have, like, a broader conversation about what the consequences of things are and how to truly, like, relate to each other. So here we are on Show Your Work. We want to unpack this issue in as many angles or to to as many angles as we can.
1: Right, because, uh, I mean, where to begin, right? One of the things I think that I'll admit that I'm probably guilty of is seeing some of the things she said in a different light than I would if a man said them. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether, you know,
0: whether that's valid. and Whether that undermines, I guess, equality, right? Like, if -hmm. we're talking about hey, assault is assault is assault.
1: Right. And my immediate answer, and you can tell me whether this is a knee-jerk answer, is that premise, whether that undermines equality, assumes equality in her life at that time. Assumes that she had the same amount of power Mm -hmm. as everybody that she was interacting with. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I wasn't there. And let us not be any way accused of, of posturing, like my, my growing up experience had nothing to do with hers. I'm not trying to claim that in any way. Yeah. That said, I can see a world where there was a lot of inequality uh, that was biased against her that we're not hearing about or right. that we're so used to right.
0: that we don't even give that context anymore. You're totally right. What you're saying, I mean, listen, again… Please hear us. We are not condoning the act of any man or woman drugging anybody and stealing. We're trying to have a conversation about context.
1: Yeah, we're trying to have a conversation about context. And the reason I think that we're taking such pains to even have the conversation is because, you know, uh, well, for a couple of reasons, I guess, because art and you know, describing your come up in your art is often calls for revealing truths and because I think there is a systemic inequality to begin with that is assumed in her account, right? Yeah. I don't want to sound too much like an academic paper, but I think we know what we're talking about here. This is a woman who is saying she drugged and robbed men and that is obviously, you know, that's not condonable. But it was in a context where I suspect, and you tell me now if I'm giving too much credit, it was kind of, you know, take advantage of somebody or be taken advantage of. That seems to me to be the underlying context here.
0: Well, yeah, and yes, what you're talking about is the balance or imbalance of power that can exist in many, not all, but many sexual assault situations. If, for example, we're drawing comparison to hashtag surviving R. Kelly, and when we're talking about, for example, what R. Kelly did or has done, is doing, etc., there is number one, obviously, violation, sexual assault, and on top of it, that sexual assault and those violations are made easier from his perspective because he wields his power. He's the one with influence. He's the one who can make the promises. What you're saying, I think, is that in Cardi's situation when she was on the come up, this is like before she became who we know as Cardi B, she was hustling, she was dancing, she was meeting people, she was not the power person she is now, and in fact, she was trying to get power by doing these things. Yeah, absolutely. So that has uh, to be part of the conversation
1: too. Of course it does. Um, You know, I do think it does, but it's hard to do that because, you know, it's hard to know. Uh, Just to be clear here, this video is from three years ago. So Cardi B is 26 years old. The video was made when she was 23 Mm -hmm. by virtue of that. And she's saying in that video she's using the past tense. I used to do this. I used to do that. So let's give her, you know, the rough benefit of the doubt and say that was two years prior that she's referring to. Now she's 21. Mm -hmm. And now we're back at that place where we live all the time now where it's, okay, I'm not, I am of a generation where nothing I did at 21 was recorded on video forever.
0: Right. And yet… Listen, again, I think we have to step in because of the sensitivity of this. This is not a condomment. This is an unpacking of a situation and an understanding of all the nuances. So was it wrong in like a straight up, you look at the paper black and white? Of course. Yeah, nobody of course should, it, no, Nobody should have not. to do that. Nobody should do that. Period. The end. Right. Now, what I will say is… What I think is an interesting layer on top of this is Cardi has been cast in a film called Hustlers. hmm uh-huh. This is based on the article written for The Cut by Jessica Pressler about the Hustlers at Scores, who were dancers in real life. Right. This is the same uh, project that J-Lo is in. Correct. J-Lo's producing it. J-Lo's starring in it. Conscious Wu is also in it. Um And, uh, like, it's an all-star cast that includes Cardi, and these real-life women in New York City were dancers, and they, too, drugged rich men and stole from them and were eventually reported. They were charged. If you go back, you can see, like, the police reports, all that. Read that article for the background. Interesting thing here is that the way that Jessica Pressler's article was written for the cut was you know, those women thought that they were getting revenge on rich asshole douchebags, right? It's a lot like the
1: um, the short lived series Diet Land that was on uh, AMC, I think this this it's Marty Knoxon show, right? Marty Knoxon yeah. show, uh, and it was written by Sarai Walker, uh, based on a book written by Sarai Walker, uh, about. Vigilantes, women who had been assaulted who were exacting vengeance. Right. Is it correct? Of course it's not correct. Right. It's not the way that anybody should behave. Is it understandable or relatable or justifiable? This is
0: where things get murky, right? This is where this is what we're doing. We're getting into the murkiness, right? Right. Like getting dirty.
1: Yeah. And I think we've been clear about we don't, you know, you don't condone any acts of violence or of uh drugging incapacitation. yeah. Yeah.
0: Over anybody. No. That said. That said, when we go back to the power discussion, the hustlers at scores clearly were in a non-power position, they're the dancers, the clientele are these, like, rich, I guess, Wall Street dudes. Sure. They were like, fuck this life. Like, you know, these fucking guys, we're going to take their money, we're going to do this and that. Now, of course, I haven't seen the screenplay. I haven't seen, we haven't seen the movie yet. But the way that this project is being sold is I'm not sure that we're necessarily going to be dumping on these women No, by you, the end of it. No, you want to cheer for them. That's right. So this is where we're in murky territory, right? Because it's life imitates, or sorry, art imitates life imitates life. Like, this life that the hustlers at Scores lived was essentially Cardi. And then she's in the movie. Now, we're mad at Cardi, or we're supposed to be mad at Cardi for what she did. So are we also transferring that anger and that judgment to this film, which she's also in? Do you see where I'm getting at? I do
1: see what you're getting at, but I think that prospect, I know where you're driving at, but I think that idea is a losing battle because I think people will cheer. I think people will love it. I think that there is a whole subcategory of entertainment right now that is about women whose rage has Mm -hmm. uh, reached a boiling point and what they're going to do about it. So we mentioned Dietland, which was canceled after one season. Uh, Good Girls, the Christina Hendricks, Mae Whitman, Retta show is doing extremely well from the same premise, women who are tired of being taken advantage of. Hustlers is, let's be real here. If we didn't start off with this video that Cardi B made, it's a great premise for a movie that we're going to love. It's like, it's a little bit like The Bling Ring. Remember mm-hmm. the Sophia Coppola directed yeah. uh, Emma Watson starring? Yeah. That was about thieves. But they were thieves who robbed Paris Hilton yeah. and other ostensibly spoiled Hollywood right. kids, so you were able to sympathize, kind of, while yeah. still condemning what they were doing.
0: Mm-hmm. You were like, hey, that's great. Well, what you're saying is, in the cut, like, they kind of refer to the Hustlers as, like, a new modern female Robin Hood. Like, it, right? Like, that parallel is there. I also think, especially in fiction,
1: um, we're asked all the time to sympathize with terrible people. Um… Uh, Game of Thrones and The Sopranos and Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad and Sons of Anarchy, just off the top of my head, are shows that are absolutely about violence Mm -hmm. and vengeance, right? They're about killing because you have to and to protect your honor and to do whatever and you do what you have to do Mm -hmm. to survive. That is true of all of those series, Right. right? And we celebrate them and we call them peak TV and we think right. they're wonderful. And then we turn the corner and we're like, oh, but no, but these women, no, that's terrible. I mean, yeah. I thought we were past that in fiction. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that about real life activities. Right. But I might in a few minutes, so stay tuned. Yeah. Um, it really is. You know, it, it strikes me that the only difference between those two things, two differences. Number one is the, the, the male-female thing, obviously. And the other difference, I think, and this maybe is where people are uncomfortable, is that in those shows like The Sopranos or Sons of Anarchy, uh, the, the bikers in, in that show look like what they are, right? Mm-hmm. They look like terrifying, dangerous bikers. Right. And Tony Soprano and his crew look like what they are, which is Monsters. a… That's right. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the discomfort around hustlers and Cardi B's admission is that women who are working in strip clubs or uh, women who are sex workers or whatever appear as… Though they can't hurt somebody, they appear vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They appear as though they're just there for the pleasure of those who come to purchase.
0: Well, listen, I, you know, to to take the other side on this for Cardi, mm-hmm. you're right when we're talking about art, but this wasn't art. No, well, I mean, she we've... took advantage of like real life men, and maybe the difference between her and the women who danced. For real, at Hustlers or at Scores, that are featured in the movie Hustlers, those were billionaires or millionaires, like Wall Street mover, movers and shakers. And I don't think that that was the company that Cardi was keeping.
1: No, I no, I understand that, but it doesn't it doesn't take away. Like, I think what you're trying to get at is that there's hubris in seeing millionaires and billionaires be bested, right. yeah, uh, and not necessarily in the case of the people she was dealing with, right. But there's still a power structure there. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen in many different iterations, women, especially black women, tend to wind up at the bottom of any given power structure. So part of what she's talking about, I suppose, is how she is how she survived in that power structure. I feel as though, look, I feel as though you can't have it all the ways. You can't love how tough she is and her street smart attitude and her unfiltered sort of brand. And it came from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. And that's not to say people can't, you know, put on a voice or that anybody who comes from a, you know, a whatever, a street oriented life automatically speaks the same way. Like, give us some credit. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. But I think people love and celebrate all those elements of Cardi B, right? It's yeah. the reason that she's not, I don't know, brandy Norwood, yeah. right? Like she couldn't be more different from people who have distanced themselves from that kind of a world. So you can't, I, I don't like the, it feels commodifying to me to be like, oh, we want all of your elements that you have. We want all your sassiness and all your Mm -hmm. great moves and everything you learned when you were dancing as a stripper, but none of the actual reality that comes with, no thank you, that feels grosser to me or as gross as the admission that, hey, I did some super unsavory things.
0: Which… You know, again, to clarify one more time, we're not condoning the action. We're just saying this is much more complicated than saying cancel Cardi B.
1: I'm trying to understand the action, I guess, is the thing. Yeah.
0: I'm just trying
1: to say that this admission may come from the same place as all the things about her that are super celebrated.
0: Okay, so what did you mean when you pitched this and you really wanted to talk about it um, in relationship to respectability politics?
1: Yeah, I mean… Whether that's the, it's a good phrase, whether it's the exact right phrase, I feel like, I feel, yeah, whether that's exactly the right phrase, I feel as though it's really gross when in our continuing sort of quest toward diversity, we say, oh, we want people with diverse voices and points of view and people from all kinds of places. But then when those people say, oh, hey, here was the reality of my growing up, coming up. Here's where I was before I was here. It's like, ew, not like that. I don't want that. I Who are we kidding? Why are we doing that then? Why is it that it's only okay to be a celebrated person if you also say, but, you know, I, I always was just great and only worked at The Gap and never had any skirmishes in my past ever. It feels,
0: a- first of all, like the random, the random name check of The Gap in that description is just amazing.
1: I feel like if you read any <laughs> other celebrity bio, like yes. everybody from, I don't know, like an Amy yeah. Adams to a yeah.
0: whoever. They were all Vicky from Reality Bites. They'd it's. be like, I worked at The Gap. Yeah. Whatever.
1: I just feel like it's not correct. You know, Tiffany Haddish talked famously about how she lived out of her car for a while, and it's sort of the closest we can come to, oh, it's not always about I moved out to L.A. after I did my undergrad in Des Moines. It's just a, it's a fiction to think that everybody who arrives to for our entertainment, literally for our entertainment in Hollywood, arrives from a background and a life that we would like to hear about to have immortalized in magazines. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. There are, you know, there are gross stepfamilies, there are addiction issues, there are periods of homelessness or of, I don't know, depression or of substance abuse and... It makes me uncomfortable that as soon as anything is less than shiny, we're like, ugh, no, gross. Or in the event that it sounds like I'm giving Cardi too much of a pass, which I think I can hear where that might sound that way coming from me. I don't think she's… I think she's telling the truth. And I think that the idea that people would like to hear a fiction is kind of problematic in itself, especially
0: if you're saying you want to hear different voices. Now you talk for a while. Well, yeah, I, I really, listen, I'm torn because, yes, black and white, we shouldn't do that to each other, 100%. And I think that that's where people are operating from. I, I, I think that the people who are reacting this way and saying, cancel Cardi B, this is so gross, hashtag surviving Cardi B, are coming from a place where they're saying, yes, it is wrong to take advantage of someone, to incapacitate them. The reason why this is so murky and we're trying to get dirty and we're a little bit afraid is because nothing ever is just black and white. Like, you have to unpack everything. Context, nuance, background, community. I think about about all the people who, you know, you talk about backgrounds and stories about, I used to work at The Gap and this is what I did. Like, in hip-hop, There's a lot of, this is what I had to do on the streets. I sold drugs. What happens when you sell drugs? Essentially, you ruin families. Yeah, there's a couple steps along the way. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, For sure. Yeah. And can I just interject there for a second? Because uh, you're right. There are several stories of people who were drug dealers. And, you know, I regret what I did, but I whatever. And I'm scrolling through one of those great listicles that tells you all about who those people are. And you know who sold drugs? You know who sold cocaine? Tim Allen. Okay. Did you know that? No. No. You know why? Because it doesn't stick to him. Yeah. Like, it's clearly something he has given an interview about. It's not a secret. And yet, that's not the context in which we're, we're talking about a Tim Allen. Yeah. As opposed to somebody else.
0: Now, to be fair, critics of Cardi B who also, you know, came from similar communities, are saying, like, well, what I don't like about what she's doing is that she's saying that that's the only path out. And we don't want our community characterized like that. There are a lot of upstanding people who come out of our community who just are able to stick to their morals, who don't have to cut corners, who don't have to compromise themselves, and this is a wrong, like, this is a shitty image again, yet again, on a community that already has to fight a shitty image. That's fair too. A hundred percent. That's why I'm so confused. That's why I don't know how to feel. Because the truth is, just like you, yes, we may be accused by people who are listening to the show of defending Cardi because you like her. Yeah, I really like her. I really want her to succeed. And this is fucking shitty. Right. But I guess if we're accused of anything,
1: then it's, yeah, because you like her, you look more into the context of what we're talking about. And again, I go back to somebody who is uh, working as an exotic dancer who maybe doesn't have a lot of resources. Is this an estimable thing to do? 100% not. But is it sort of a survive or be survived, for lack of a more grammatical explanation? Maybe. I don't know. And the problem with what we're talking about and the reason why we need all the time more and more diverse voices from all manners of things is for people to tell us, right? No, that is kind of one of the only ways up, or absolutely that's not. It's abhorrent. She's the only person who would have done something like that. What we do know is that it's not an abuse of power in, say, the same way as a Bill Cosby comes to mind, right? Somebody who had already had all kinds of wherewithal of every type that you can imagine. Or Celebrity, Polanski. financial, um, God, uh, you know, resources, Roman Polanski, absolutely, absolutely that it's not coming from the same place as a powerful man taking advantage. And to your earlier point, it's not even coming from the same place as an R. Kelly. This is not Cardi B today. This is, again, her talking about herself when she was a young person in her early 20s. Does it make it okay? It doesn't. But does it make it understandable or something that you can at least seek to empathize with? I'd like to believe that's why we're doing what we're doing. Not you and me, but like that's why, that's what entertainment is for. It's Mm -hmm. not just turning off your brain for an hour and a half at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: It's to help you contextualize all the other people in the world. But for me, the the key takeaway from our discussion or one of them is if we are to celebrate diversity and inclusion and to welcome, to expand the pool and the space, then… Our entertainers are not going to just be educated at some theater school in England anymore. They're going to come from different places. And that has to be okay. But this is something that we may confront more and more and more. That as opposed to 40 years ago where there was a certain path to becoming a star… You get discovered from a small town. You get off a bus and somebody's there. You study theater at the Royal Shakespeare, whatever. Your parents were directors and actors. This is going to be, not only are you going to come from like a farm in Iowa, but you're going to come from communities that are um, underprivileged. In those communities, you're going to have seen some shit and maybe done some shit. How are we going to reckon with all the backgrounds of the people we elevate to such high levels of fame?
1: Well, you know, there's two things about that that I love. When you were talking about the old way, um, and I loved your meshing of sort of the old studio system slash uh, the old Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts or whatever, those systems are notorious for putting everyone through the same filter right? It's like an old cartoon. They squish you and thin you and drug you and style you until you are an acceptable output of an entertainment product. And this is not that. That's great. Um, The other thing about coming from all kinds of places and communities and whatnot is, this is a bigger context, but it's something we do talk about quite a lot. Ultimately, entertainers are to entertain us, Mm -hmm. right? They are to um, entertain, to uh, change, you know, to give us different ideas of things. They're not meant to be idols. They're not meant to be. This is what kills me whenever people talk about uh, being a bad example for the children. I am always like, they're not supposed to be an example for the children. They're supposed to be talented At acting and singing and dancing and whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, is it fair to say that? Like, of course not. Nobody behaves in a vacuum. But we have to believe that if we want, and we all do want, I believe this across the board, that if we want a more uh, layered and textured pool from which to draw our entertainers, then they should be seen first and foremost foremost for their entertainment value, and the idea of what happened way back then, um, I'm not saying we ignore it, because that opens the door to ignore things from a lot of people that I'd rather not. I'm saying let's put it in the context of what we knew at the time. And the other thing about that, I guess, is, you know, we don't know enough about these communities to know what we knew at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, the other part of it is that a lot of people who are saying cancel Mm -hmm. don't have the context to know what it was that she was up against. And I I count myself in that number, no question, but I think it's easy to say, how dare you, when you've never had to face anything
0: akin to that situation. Well, and that too goes back to art and like what art can do to illuminate communities like that, to humanize the experience of people who came from those communities. This is also part of the conversation about representation and inclusion. Like, not only, you know, who gets to star in the stories, but where those stories originate from. This is what Lena Waith has been doing, right? This is what Ava DuVernay has been doing. There is, number one, of course, there's a baseline of what's right and wrong, but on top of that, there has to be empathy for the reality that exists in certain communities that, like, they have a certain reality that, again, you and I probably are too privileged to get, truly get. And what that requires is bare minimum,
1: either a curiosity about what those realities were or an acknowledgement that you can't know Yeah, the way… People who lived it know, and so if you can't know, then you are less equipped to judge. You can make your own decisions about everybody that you encounter on screen or otherwise, but you don't have the full context, and I think think there's something to be
0: said for acknowledging that. Well, listen, given how complicated this issue is, I hope what we can get from this later is that… When Cardi is ready, maybe in the promotion of this particular movie that is, like, life, art, imitating life, imitating life, or whatever, that we can sit down and actually have a broad conversation with her. Not us, but someone. Maybe us, um, but yeah. We, I would love to. And be like, hey, so what happened? Mm-hmm. Why did you do what you did? No excuses. No, I was dating these men. Because, again, to go back to the beginning, that was some weak shit. Like, that was… um." I was dating them and they knew exactly what was happening. Like, no, we're not going to… Let's not play that game. But Cardi, what were your circumstances? Talk to us about what it was like for a girl like you growing up in the Bronx. What were the opportunities available to you? Why did you think you had to take that opportunity? Well,
1: right. And yeah, what were the circumstances
0: that led to this moment?
1: Because I promise nobody walks up to somebody like this and does it for fun. There are a million sort of situational
0: aspects that lend
1: themselves to something like this transpiring?
0: Let me tell you a story briefly. Please. Um, it's obviously not exactly like Cardi. You know the story, but I'm telling other people the story. Yeah, for sure. But I want you to tell me like a story anyway. Yeah. So my mother grew up in hard circumstances. She, my Her parents were gamblers. They many times… Like had a fortune, threw it away on gambling. My grandparents did. Mm-hmm. And so it put the six children that they had in like shitty, shitty circumstances. And your ma was the oldest, right? My mom was the oldest, um, is the oldest. Everybody's around still. So right. yes, is the oldest. And my mom was very attractive and also very responsible. She wanted to study, she wanted to go to school, but she couldn't because she had to be the one picking up her parents' mess all the time. So one day, um, you know, all kinds of shitty things happened to her, like, all kinds of violence and whatnot. But one day, to get themselves out of a jam, um, and I've written about the other shit in my book, Listen to the Squawking Chicken. Hey, get my book. Anyway, um, one day her parents were in, like, such a fucking jam that they ended up making a deal with a local... um, upstanding citizen of the community, an older man who was involved with the police force. I think he was, like, the village police chief. Right. And they sold my mother for, like, to cover their debts to be this man's lover. She was underage at the time. Mm -hmm. He was older. He was uh, 30, in his 30s. And so she went to live with him. And she was essentially his, what would you call it? Uh,
1: Property? Sure. (laughs) Mistress? I mean, and I want to just be clear here. You're right. I've heard this story before. Yeah. And you are telling it in a very matter of fact way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's no less horrifying, right? We're talking about a 15, 16 year old girl. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a, that's a troubling place for us to be, even as listeners to your story.
0: So she was. Okay, I have it. She was sold into prostitution. Sure. And she lived with this person for, I think, a couple of years. And was, when she talks about it today, was quite happy. She was away from her family. She was well cared for. He was very nice to her, she says. Right. But it was rape. Right. And so, without
1: minimizing that last sentence that you said, but it was rape, the headline is teen girl sold into prostitution.
0: Right. And the headline that would follow her is she was a prostitute. Right. For many years, she lived with a man who paid her to be with him. The context around
1: it, of course… Gives us a lot more understanding of A, why it happened, B, why it was relatively palatable Mm -hmm. given that she didn't have a lot of control over her circumstances, and C, and this is most important and what has informed so much of what you do, yeah. and C, how it shaped her to become the person who is your mother. She squirreled away
0: his money, Uh (laughs) right? Right. You know, go shopping, uh… Go shopping, he would say to her. Yeah, get Uh some dinner for tonight. Uh She would put away, you know, what she could put away. Or he'd come home after winning, like, whatever at card games and whatnot, and she'd skim Mm -hmm. some of what he won. And by the end of it, she had a little bit more money and was able to do some other shit with it when she was like, peace out. Right. So, also a thief. But I think that people would have more sympathy for her after hearing this story. Probably a lot of people will write to me and be like, yeah, I'm not mad at your mom because her parents were dickheads and sold her and she did what she had to do. I'm just saying though, if you just read the top line of it, it's hard to, if my mother had given an interview, she would be like, yeah, I lived with a dude when I was 16 and he was older and I take money from him and I peaced out after two years. Right. But to your point, I think the headline
1: is Cardi B, drugged and stole. And the context, which, you know, we don't know, we don't all know. of because she hasn't supplied it because I think that was the correct move on her part, um, may add nuance that we don't know. And we have a long history of apologizing for, oh, I'm going to say it, men, yeah. apologizing for men and All the things that they do. I'm not even going to get into Mm -hmm. them all, but you know all the men in Hollywood who have been forgiven, not Mm -hmm. just for things that are illegal, but for abuses and like publicly recorded abuses. Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about things that are hearsay. Mm -hmm. And so I think... At bare minimum, you don't have to like her. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to forgive her. But yeah. I think that you have to accept that there's context that the headlines aren't necessarily going to expose. And I'm not pretending to know mm-hmm. all of the context, but I know that there is some.
0: You know why there is some? Because those are the facts. So we may be… Yes. Yes. Perhaps this looks like and sounds like we are giving Cardi B the benefit of the doubt, which, as you pointed out, men have enjoyed history, period. And like yesterday. but (laughs) Yes. But the reason why we're giving her the benefit of the doubt is for sure we enjoy her. She's entertaining. But also this is based in fact. We have now enough collected fact that shows that women of color, particularly in America and women of certain color which is of black and latin descent have disadvantages these are the gaps that you and i are filling into that context i hope i hope we are are filling some of that in yeah i don't think that those are unfounded like i don't think that we are pulling that shit out of our asses no there's no there's no smoke being blown we know that to be a fact that's right yes. so are we making an assumption sure I think the assumption comes from what we're beginning to learn, what many women, female leaders out there, especially women of color, have been trying to, like, have been shouting about is, hey, our experiences are different. This is what we're up against. We start way behind the start line.
1: That's right. And the, oh, I would never do that. I could never do such a thing. I would never see myself in that kind of a position. Can also speak to, yeah, but you've never been in that position. From who your parents were to what the circumstances were that happened to, 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 to. Yeah. You can't know. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you can cancel whoever you want to for your own purposes, but your decision to cancel has as much weight as that headline has context.
0: All right, next. Saved by the Bell.
1: I mean, look, <laughs> one of the reasons that I love you is that you surprise me all the time. Of all the headlines that I expected you to send, this was not it. I didn't expect for you to be interested in a story about Mark Paul Gosselaar. Yeah.
0: Especially Mark Paul Gossler as a teenager. Well, I… Tell me the years, If you, I'm not, like I'm testing you right now. You're not allowed to look at your uh, devices. Okay. Tell me the years of Saved by the Bell. Ah, so this
1: is tricky, but I
0: believe
1: that Good Morning Miss Bliss, which was the precursor to Saved by the Bell, started in, I think, 87, mm-hmm. uh, and Saved by the Bell in two different iterations went
0: up through, I want to say, 94 or 95. Okay. So I… So I am not a Saved by the Bell scholar. Right. It missed me. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, like, I was already of a certain age. I'm not watching morning TV. It was, yeah, okay. I'm sleeping. Yep. Um, I'm sleeping because I'm of an age where I'm going out at night and, like, I'm that teenager who's sleeping through the day and I don't get up until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And not of my, me, I won't say my generation because probably people my age know it, but, like, that wasn't me. I knew of it. And I know the characters, but like some people can list the storylines, right? And yeah, I I have a good few
1: going. Right. Um, And it falls into the same category as 90210 in the sense that uh, it's a known thing that Mm -hmm. eight year olds want to watch shows about high schoolers, right? right? Even though they couldn't be further from high school. Yeah. And so you give it to them in very palatable packages, and Saved by
0: the Bell was exactly that. I will say this, I don't think I have given Saved by the Bell enough credit for being the kind of show that wasn't nighttime, was daytime, that became like a trend of things that happen and are pop culture touchstones in daytime. Like, I don't know, all those Disney shows Miley, Hannah Montana, I like. Like, I don't know. I'm just listing off names, not knowing anything about the content in the shows, but like Zach and Cody. Right. And uh, the thing Selena was on. Oh, Wizards of Waverly Place. There you go. Yeah. Right? And like, you could Lizzie say McGuire, that… Lizzie McGuire, you can't leave out Hillary There now. you go. So you could say that Saved by the Bell is the grandfather of all of those things. Uh,
1: yeah. And uh, I have to say it goes hand in hand with, uh, yeah, and the Mickey Mouse Club, but that wasn't available to everybody. Right. And the deal with Saved by the Bell, uh, and the reason that it is more than all of those others was a touchstone for so many, was because they made so many episodes, and we'll get into why they were able to make so many episodes, that it was in syndication early and often. Like you said, oh, I was sleeping in, I wasn't awake to watch it. Uh, New episodes, of course, were on Saturday mornings on Mm -hmm. NBC, but by the time i was i want to say in junior high school it was syndicated on this or that network at 3:30 every afternoon right. just in time for people to come home from school
0: so the the hook here is that um mark paul can we just like this is such a long name so can we just call him mark
1: well no or or his people- name is a, his name is clearly mark paul okay like, fine it's not longer than saying Elaine. It's two syllables.
0: Mark Paul. Mark Paul did a podcast with the Hollywood Reporter and he revealed that he fired his mother. When he was 19, he was like, yeah, she was not a manager. She was a parent. That in and of itself is an interesting discussion that we have been having about young stars, about young entertainers, about young talent. But there's so much packed into this short little article. Of course, it's probably a longer podcast. Haven't listened to it, but… You know, the pull quotes out of the podcast are about his him firing his mother, but also the context he gives about young people working in that era and how, not just from their parents, but even their representation, their formal representation, failed them. And this is a
1: story that happened across the board, but that was most rife in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and I love it. So prior to Saved by the Bell and the Mickey Mouse Club and, you know, maybe you can't do that on television for Canadian diehards, there weren't really shows that starred all children, right? They were either all adults playing kids. I'm thinking about uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, for example, Mm -hmm. or even that show Head of the Class. There wasn't a real teenager in the bunch, right? Right. Or they were one or two cute kids on a show. Maybe the exception would have been the Brady Bunch, but I'm not well-versed enough in the Brady Bunch to know the ages of all those
0: characters. But to your point, the parents and, like, the housekeeper or the nanny was also a star. They were the stars. Yeah. The kids ran in every few scenes right. and
1: said, Mommy! And then, you know, everybody laughed. And it was as likely that that line would go to the family dog as to the kids. The boom happened in the 80s, and he says, Oh, you know, my mom was my manager. And actually, the quote is We all sort of grew up in that same era where parents were managers. And we, you and I, have a real sort of tone when we talk about parent managers because the ones that come to mind are Dina Loewen or. Millie Bobby Brown's parents. Kit Culkin. Yeah, Kit Culkin. I discovered the other day. Did you know that Kit Culkin is Bonnie Bedelia's brother? No. Yeah, who knew? Okay, all right, all right. Um, Yeah, there are a few notorious ones who make that the case. But remembering that all of these people who are now our, who were our childhood touchstones, Um, came of age or wanted to be celebrities in the 80s, there wasn't a lot of ways to... There weren't a lot of ways in to this world, right? It was a mom driving a kid who wanted to do this to a modeling agency, usually, Mm -hmm. and then sort of floundering their way through the roadblocks to get them to where they were. And parents being managers was seen as... Smart business, incredibly. Because of the Jackie Coogan law and of people who had been accused of taking money from unsuspecting child performers before then, having a parent around was meant to be in your best interest. Yeah. Also, children under 16 are required to have a chaperone on a set anyway. Right. So if you're going to be there, you
0: may as well be doing your kids' financial mm-hmm. and career goals as well, right? But at the time, even though it was considered at the time to be a smart move, as Mark Paul is saying, yes, it's one thing to, like, drive you around and protect you and make sure you're eating and make sure you're safe, but your parent often in these situations is not business, doesn't know the ins and outs of the business, doesn't have the, at the time, Rolodex, Well, and we should separate managers and agents here Yeah, uh, because an
1: agent is governed by a governing body. Agents are in the association of talent agents and they have to abide by a certain code and they get 10% period the end, except in very special circumstances. Managers are… A lot more ephemeral. They make meetings. They introduce you to people. They groom your career, mm-hmm. uh, and they strategize. That's your career. right. Yes. And so the benefit to a manager, and many many people still have them, and yep. you know the benefit to a manager is a they're more hands on, mm-hmm. and b they can they can see sort of the nuance of the whole picture. Yeah. An agent, ultimately, to use your word, is about bookings.
0: Yeah. It's the deal. It's the deal. Yeah. This is
1: how much money, this right. is where you get, this is right. what where your credit is going to Right. Live.
0: So when you're a manager and a parent, and as Mark Paul is saying, mom was driving me from audition to audition and driving me to set, the strategy there that we just talked about, the, um, you know, crafting of what the career looks like, the setting up of the meetings, the flipping through the Rolodex of, you know, setting up who to meet with and who best to consult with… That's not happening, but the pay, the 10%, is still going out there to mom. uh, Yeah, you pay, yes, if
1: somebody's acting as your manager, then they would get 10 or maybe even
0: 15% in addition to the 10% that's going to your agent. So what he's saying here is, you know, she was taking 10% of what I was earning, but she wasn't managing… She was essentially parenting. She was driving me places. She sat on set to make sure I was eating on time, to make sure I was safe, which is, yes, important, but it's not necessarily management.
1: Now, but there's another layer here. There's dozens of layers, actually, but there's another layer here. I don't know his mother's particular situation, but often there is an agreement or the parent's conceive of a situation where part of that management fee that they're taking is making up for the fact that they if a child is this successful yeah. if it's not one commercial a month mm-hmm. somebody has to quit their job yeah And when all is said and done somebody's got to right. quit their job to be with that child all the time right. some parent has to subvert either their career mm-hmm. or their dreams or the other children in their houses you know, needs. Yeah. And so this serves as
0: compensation for that. Right. But again, what he's saying here is at some point when he was 19, he was like, fuck this. I've, I'm done. Mom, you're fired. As my manager.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that too is I didn't care that much about Mark Paul Gossler, except in as much as he was Zach Morris, until… Hitch, which which yeah. gone too soon and reignited a hell of a crush in me. God, he's sexy in that show. But a piece of Mark Paul Gossler trivia that I hung on to for a long time was that his mother would only give him a $20 a week allowance. When she was his manager, she was paying him essentially a $20 a week allowance. He was Arguably the biggest teen star going mm-hmm. outside of 90210, he yeah. certainly was. And he had $20 a week. Right. And on the one hand, I'm like, oh man, that's stifling and I can see why he was annoyed and I can see why he fired her. And on the other hand, though, come on, that's why he's normal. That's why he's still working. Yeah. It's He's not a Hollywood washout, unlike some co-stars we mm-hmm. could mention, because there was some restriction there.
0: Yeah. And yet, I mean, again, we're talking about layers and bouncing back and forth because there's no easy answer to this. To go to the next part of how complicated these things are, he says that of his generation, those young stars, unlike the young stars of today who have proper management and representation… Um, they didn't get a cut. They weren't making that much money. The deals were not in their favor. He's getting, you mentioned syndication. Like, Mm. you know, you said at first they would air on Saturdays and then it was syndicated. So these days when you're a show in syndication or when you're on a show that's been on the air for long enough and it goes into syndication, you're getting a check all the time. Like Rachel Bilson is still getting paid from the OC. Is the OC in
1: syndication?
0: Um, I'm pretty
1: sure it is. So the thing about syndication that's interesting is that you need 100 episodes of Mm -hmm. a half-hour show to be syndicated. That means… Syndication, of course, means somebody can buy your show and strip it all the time. When you grew up and Murphy Brown was on every afternoon at four or Friends or whatever, it's because of syndication. Right. So it's 100 episodes of a half-hour and 65 episodes of an hour. Yeah, so the OC is syndicated for sure, and once a package of shows like that exists, yeah, it can run over and over and over again. Part of the reason that those Saved by the Bell episodes that you talk about are such cultural touchstones – everybody knows the one, of course, I'm so, so scared – is because we saw each of them 9 and 10 and 15 times.
0: Yes, but as they say in this Hollywood Reporter article… Mark Paul and his Saved by the Bell peers never saw a windfall of syndication cash like other casts have. His quote is, this is Mark Paul, you have to talk to our agents. Our deals, even our merchandise deals, are laughable. It's a shame. It really is. I don't think any of us are losing sleep over it because, you know, you have to get over it at some point. You can't fucking, like, stew in it. Well, unless you are, like, some co-stars of his. Sure. Yes. But it's one of those things where you would like to be compensated in the fashion that some of these shows have been. Some people made some really poor decisions on our behalf. So what, again, I want this to sit with you. For all of you who watch Save by the Bell, who are scholars of it, who know all the episodes, remember, compared to what people are seeing today and those deals, these, the five of them, it's five, right? It was six. Six of them get, like, nothing comparatively. They got Nothing. Nothing. They got nothing. They did
1: not get right what they were due. I mean, you know, this is a kid who. I think the show's still on in course. some places, right? Not only that, but and this is one of my evening enjoyments now. Uh, like just a little nightcap is we'll watch an episode of Zach Morris's Trash. This is a five-minute, funnier die series that talks about how the character Zach Morris, not Mark Paul Gossler, uh, was basically like a sociopathic asshole and how he got away with it. It's extremely funny. I highly recommend it. Uh, we're watching it on Amazon Prime, but I'm sure you can find it lots of places. Uh, and even that usage of that show is not compensating a Mark Paul Gossler. No. In any way.
0: So the flip side to, yeah, the parents have to be compensated in some way. Yes for sure, they quit their jobs. The other side of that is there was a lack of management. There was a lack of, I mean, probably across the board, those agents just weren't as savvy and they just weren't as with it as they are now. But it is a major, like, it is, I would, I'm a bitter person. I would be, like, if I turned on a rerun of Saved by the Bell today and I'm Mark Paul, I'm like, fuck I'm seeing nothing from this. Nothing. Millions of people are watching this right now. Nothing is going into my bank
1: account. And I want to be clear here. The agents uh, themselves who would take 10% of a salary, like 10% of not much is not much, but, you know, it allows you to keep working with the studios and the casting agencies, and that's good for you, first of all. Um, So I think the agents are not weeping over these deals. The managers, as we point out, are the ones who maybe didn't have all the education that they should have. But I want to tell you a story that has really stuck with me in the same deal of should we be bitter. I might have mentioned on this podcast before a different podcast called Worst Ever, which is co-hosted by Christine Lakin. Christine Mm -hmm. is just short of being a household name. She was a little later in the Hey Kids Can Be Actor game, Christine was cast as Patrick Duffy's daughter, uh, opposite Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Somers and Stacey Keenan on the Friday night series, Step by Step. Yeah. And this is 100% after your time. Yep. But I think it ran for six or seven oh, yeah. seasons.
0: It was a big show. Right.
1: And so her co-host, uh, who is… Um, Alok, Khaled, DJ Khaled's brother, yeah. uh, was asking her about how she got started, and it's the same story. My mom and I didn't know anything, and we flew out from wherever, Texas, Georgia, and they signed with this manager, and this manager ultimately got them a pretty terrible deal. You know, it didn't cover enough housing, it didn't cover enough travel, blah, blah, blah. You know who the manager was? It was Kirk and Candace Cameron's mother. Oh. So in this case, this is somebody who has benefited from the system, and I should say Kirk Cameron was a really good comparison, along with Michael J. Fox, too. They were good predecessors for Zach Morris, in a way, but they, as you point out, were on primetime, different deal. Yep. And they were cast alongside adults. But, uh, so the mother, uh, Mother Cameron, uh, had… Worked out situations where her son was a lead on Growing Pains for many Mm -hmm. years. Her daughter subsequently was a lead on Full House for many years. You better believe she either got or learned to get all the benefits and all the subsequent deals and so forth. But she in turn did not, you know, did not procure that for other actors. Right. Other children because… Children don't know to ask, and the parents aren't educated enough to
0: to be in this situation. They hadn't been through it once or twice
1: like she had. All of which brings us back to he not only has a point that maybe parents shouldn't be paid just for sitting on set, especially not when he was… he says this all went down when he was 19, by which
0: point you really don't need a chaperone of any kind. But also… You mean the firing went down when he was 19. What did I say? You said all this went down when he was… Yeah. I just wanted to specify. The firing. Yeah. She was excused from her position. The termination. (laughs)
1: Right. Um, You know, that not only was it maybe you don't need to get paid for this, but more importantly, you don't know enough about this business to be earning this. Or you are not… You're not earning… Yeah. In in revenue or in opportunities or whatever, this this paycheck. Yeah. So where it gets interesting, though, to me, of course, is one, Mr. Matthew Knowles. Mm-hmm. I, so again, I think it's been too long since I last promoted
0: becoming <laughs> Beyonce. <laughs> there are like three books in your like DNA. What are the other two? Top in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> becoming Beyonce. Yeah. And that book, uh, uh, um, what's the other book that you reference all the time? Oh, I know the one you're going to say, hello, he lied. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh,
1: Becoming Beyoncé, J. Randy Taraborelli. (laughs) Really good read, guys. I'm not on his payroll. I just love it. We've been here. Duanna. Move on. But it's been a long time, though. But (laughs) anyway… One of the things that it describes in a lot of detail is the learning curve of the various managers of the bands that Beyonce and Destiny's Child were in before it became Destiny's Child and Matthew Knowles learning the ropes. And he, by sheer tenacity or know-how or, I don't know, pig-headedness, like it worked, right? He managed them to the top. It worked. Yeah. So the question is whether, I guess there's two questions, whether or not he's earned his money as a manager and whether at some point on some level managing, because it's, it's not, you can't get a degree in it. It's just sort of common sense, whether there are just people
0: who are good at it or not. Good at it or not, but to a point. Like you said, he managed them to the top of a certain mountain. Mm-hmm. He couldn't take her to, like, literally the Olympus that she's on top of right now.
1: Well, or, yeah, sure he could have, but she didn't need him to, right? Like, I think the thing is we are talking about children. Children need their parents to do this, Mm -hmm. right? They have to. You have to have a parent's buy-in. And then at a certain point, they don't need them anymore. Like, it's the Hollywood kid equivalent of going to college. I don't need you anymore anymore. In the same way, and it's heartbreaking for everybody involved, but the break is
0: meant to be there somewhere, right? Well, it is and it isn't. Like, for instance, Katherine Heigl is still managed by her mother. Right, but she is
1: 100% the exception who proves the rule. And I guess if you were Katherine Heigl's mother, you could say, yeah, and I did it. And, you know, Catherine uh, Heigl's sort of mid-ought bumps aside… She came from nowhere and from nothing to be a series regular countless times over, and she was in big, big rom-coms when people still made them, and that worked, you know? And it may be the exception that, that gets it all the way there. She's also known for being a really... Difficult person to work with. I'm talking about Catherine Heigl's mother now, mm-hmm. not Catherine Heigl. Yeah, which maybe is what you need to get there in the first place. Not coincidentally, Matthew Knowles has been described the same way. Whereas, you know who I bet was everybody's best friend? Dina Lowen. Like <laughs> Dina Lowen was not difficult to work with, right? Um, which made everybody's life easier, except for her daughters. You know? Yep. Yeah.
0: So, I guess the takeaway here, or if there is one, is Saved by the Bell, like, had to eat it. Yes. Everybody on Saved by the Bell had
1: to eat it uh, to varying degrees. Yeah. I think that Tiffany Amber Thiessen got off the easiest, Mm -hmm. which is to say she was the easiest to cast in other things. Yeah. But I don't think by any means it was
0: easy. No. And now… Like, you know, any… the Nickelodeon stars, the Disney Channel stars, that is not a thing anymore. Like, they are never going to be caught in that situation. They're it's, not going to be watching themselves in 30 years being like, I'm not making any money off of this. I mean, yes and no. Like,
1: especially if you are going up against Disney. If your kid is on a Disney show and Disney is going to present you with their boilerplate contract and your agent is going to say… You know, when you say, can we get a bit more money or can we get a little more promotion or whatever, whatever your agent's going to say, uh, no, Disney has handed this contract to everybody from Demi Lovato on down, like suck it up, buttercup. But what it is going to be is transparent. And somebody, some lawyers somewhere have addressed these things and addressed the eventuality that your child may turn into a Selena Gomez or a whomever. Which
0: in and of itself is a different. Drama about, yes, the commodification and the commercialization of these kids. Having said that, at the very least, they're not, like, looking at thousands of episodes, hundreds of episodes in syndication and getting jack shit in compensation for whatever was sacrificed or exchanged for their childhood being on a set. Right, which arguably they wanted in the first place.
1: But as a closer, let me just ask you this one thing. Suppose, for the sake of argument, they are out on the street tomorrow and Barney is spotted by a casting agent. And they're like, we love Barney. We want to cast Barney in everything. This would be my dog. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody knows. I think that's very clear. Are you honestly, and more precisely, is Yasek honestly going to give the reins of Barney's career to somebody else? Or are you going to be the
0: one who's in there going, no, I know what's best for him. I'm going to fight for him. <laughs> Probably the second option. Right? I know what's best for him. Now, my advantage is I'm in the business. Uh, sure. Would Yassick be the best? I'll tell, I'll tell you right now, I would not, I don't think, want it in the hands of Yassick. Why? Because he'd be a terrible stage brother and be <laughs> all like, have you seen my dog? Have you seen my… Correct. He, but I would say, I mean, I understand where you're going with this. And you're right. Like, of course, why would parents want to hand that over? I mean, that is, I'm not a parent, but I understand that instinct that kicks in. Especially because the,
1: I said this was the big wave of all kids shows, which is true, but the generation of child actors who preceded Mm -hmm. uh, this generation, I said, predecessed on the last (laughs) take, uh, there are some pretty gruesome stories that come out of charles in charge or of family affair or those kinds of things so all of these parents who were neophytes and didn't know what to fight for or who thought they'd take the 10% and keep it in the family were acting in reaction to those previous stories you know so so you again talking about context you can see where they made these decisions and it's not only about oh i want to keep all my child's Earnings all for myself. There's a there's a more nuanced world to it than that. But the simplest way around it is to tell your kid that they can be an actor um, when they are old enough to drive themselves to auditions and sign their own contracts and avoid the issue altogether.
0: So next time you come across a Saved by the Bell rerun,
1: just pour one out for their uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. for their <laughs> dolls and yeah. tapes and all the money they're not seeing. And, yeah. Hope
0: that doesn't ruin the experience for you.
1: Follow George Lucas's example and hang on to the merchandising.
0: All right. In a sort of related story…
1: Definitely… Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, these are the stories that always come with a bit of an asterisk because they don't appear to be about the business, right? They right. appear to be about grumping about, you know, administrivia. Yeah. But they're part of the business. Um I really loved this story when you sent it to me, uh, but I have to admit that I misread the headline
0: at first. Okay. So, so the headline is, mm-hmm. this is a page six headline that I sent to you, mm-hmm. Sarah Silverman slams Hulu for billing her $1,500 for Emmy's Glam. What did you think it was?
1: I read it and thought, well, yeah, Sarah Silverman, rein it in a bit. Fifteen grand is a bit much. <laughs> but no. It's $1,500. And what we're talking about here is that when she attended the Emmys to promote I Love You America, which was her show, like, she's absolutely the star. There's no question about that. You know, she goes to the Glam Squad, which we talk about, and they do her hair and makeup and so forth, and then she had to pay for it.
0: Yeah, so um, what she's saying is that… She had to, this is 2018, by the way. So when she went to the Emmys in 2018, so, so last September, last year, mm-hmm. um, Hulu stuck her with the bill, and she said, "Quote, even Comedy Central, like 15 years ago, paid for that shit when I was nominated. I was just flummoxed. Wouldn't it be worth them paying fifteen hundred dollars? That's one thousand five hundred dollars." to not have me on Matt Wilstein's podcast saying that they wouldn't pay $1,500 for an Emmy for their network because she went on a podcast, obviously Matt Wilstein's podcast, saying calling them out for not footing the bill for her hair and makeup. Right. And,
1: you know, that's the Daily Beast podcast. It's not a small podcast. That's, it's out there. But, and just to contextualize, of course, $1,500 for hair and makeup, on the one hand, seems like a lot. On the other hand, remember that it is the Emmys and that every professional in town, every professional artist who's going, even to the parties, is having their makeup and hair professionally done. That's right.
0: And… She's a nominee.
1: She's a nominee. And every artist in town is working that day, so you're damn right you're going to pay a premium. Call it surge pricing.
0: Yes. One hundred percent, right? So it I, might not even be surge pricing, given like the level of artists that you're working with, or whatever. Like, no, fine, but if whatever. I'm a makeup artist, I'm going to surge price on
1: sure on the Emmys. Like, it costs more. You Come should on. if you're a makeup yes, artist, please. But yeah, this is bananas. Like, I don't know if there's an argument where you say, "Come on, Sarah Silverman," the way I thought I I could when it was fifteen grand,
0: right? No, and I think the discussion I wanted to have here, and that's why I pitched it to you, is because I do think it's interesting to talk about in the business who pays for what. Because, yes, it's easy to have that knee-jerk reaction being like, hey, Sarah Silverman, you're a millionaire. Just pay for your own shit. That's not what we're doing here, and that's not the point. Like, yes, she's very wealthy. She can pay for her own shit. Guess what? Networks are even wealthier. By an exponential degree,
1: right? Right. And this was her point. Going to the Emmys, Sarah Silverman, remember that I paused a few minutes ago and said she was promoting uh, I Love You, America. She's promoting a Hulu show. Every time she's on screen in her hair and makeup, they're going to pull up that caption that says, I love you, America, on Hulu, so that people are constantly,
0: it's an advertisement for Hulu. We know that. That's yes. very clear. She yes. is a walking billboard for yes. Hulu. So it's not about Sarah Silverman having to eat the $1,500. Like, she can eat it. It's, this is the principle of it, is what she's saying. And it's the principle of, across the board, in the industry, what the networks and the studios are willing to pay for, and who or what they're not willing to pay for.
1: Yeah, and it's, well, you make a good point. Because this is not just about what they're willing to pay for, in the sense that, it's not as though there's a policy. We don't pay for hair and makeup. That's preposterous. It's about who. Uh, and Hulu obviously has the money. And if Elizabeth Moss, for example, in The Handmaid's Tale, had her hair and makeup done and submitted her receipts, you know that that would not be an issue. That's right. And the the way that this story is told Seems to imply that Hulu booked a hair and makeup artist to get Sarah ready, that that was an understood thing. You know, hey, come to the suite at the wherever at 10 a.m. and we'll get you ready to go to the carpet by 5. It was already booked. It's that she was surprised to get a bill after the fact, as though it was she who incurred the expense instead of them. Like, come on. She can't not go. No. She's supposed to promote it. Yep. And, you know, I'm picturing the red carpet there at Hollywood and Highland. And hypothetically, if you look up five stories, there are billboards all over LA, even more than in other cities, where they could be promoting I Love You, America, starring Sarah Silverman. There'd be a photo shoot and she'd be up on the billboard or a video. And guess who would have paid for the hair and makeup at that point? Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. Because
0: that's their product. That's right. That they're making. So why is this any different? I don't know. Like I work for, yes, a big broadcaster in Canada, but like that's not even America. You know what I mean? Like we're dealing with the big guns in the U.S. In Canada, even they pay. If we're going to an award show, if we're going to an event and we're representing our show, be it eTalk or the social, there are things that are arranged for us. Hair and makeup is arranged for us. Styling is arranged for us. Clothing items are arranged for us. Transportation is arranged for us. This, to me, was like, what the fuck? Hulu couldn't pay $1,500? And I want to be clear, though. It's arranged for
1: you not because you're special, not because you are spoiled princesses. It's because, at a real basic level, they need you to look the same at the party as you look on the side of the building. That's right. They need you to look like the product that they are selling every day at 1 p.m. Right. On CTV, check your local listings. Right. Um, but they need you to appear as the as the product that they're selling. And likewise, Hulu needs Sarah Silverman to appear as the product they're mm-hmm. selling, which we know because they yeah. booked the hair and makeup in the first place. Like, the fact that they invoiced her means that it was charged to Hulu originally, and they're like, oh, hey, here's your payment for yeah.
0: services. Yeah. You know, what's tricky is that, like, here's the real-life application. There's an expression I haven't used in a few episodes. The real-life application is that, let's say everybody out there, you go to a conference or you're going to a meeting, you're going to a sales meeting where you have to travel. Your company will pay for the flight and you will submit, you know, the cab fare, the Uber fare, you will submit your expenses, you might get a per diem. When you're going to a conference or when you're, like, you know, taking a sales meeting, when you're traveling, those are things that are standard in business. Now, what's tricky about show business is, like, image and career and the shows they're on are so closely intertwined. Like, for you, everybody out there who may be, like, a salesperson or a marketing person and you're taking a meeting, like, you're only on that plane flying to Seattle or whatever, because it's your job, J-O-B. You wouldn't fucking be doing this on your regular time. But that also is why you're compensated, right? When you get a,
1: you know, funds for meals or whatever, it's because… It's not because it's a treat because you get to be in restaurants. It's because if you were at home, you would have been eating the food that you acquired for yourself at home. That's right.
0: Now, with celebrities and actors and entertainers, you know… Emmy night on a Sunday night isn't technically being on set, right? Like, they can argue that when you're going to set, yes, you've got your driver, you've got your pickup, you've got your pre you've got craft services, you have the makeup artist there. Technically, um, you know, when you go to the Emmys, it's a party night. I think that that is not the disconnect, but that's where it gets murky, where they're like, hey, your appearance at the Emmy not only benefits the show, but adds to your brand. I believe that if it's… I don't believe it. I'm just saying that is the, like, the argument that a lot of people have a lot of, like, you know, a hard time separating.
1: Okay. And I could go with that argument if it were, you know, when people go to the Elton John party, for example, right? Or the Vanity Fair Oscar party or whatever it is. You can say, yeah, that's for your benefit. You're going to wind up on all the blogs. correct? You, whatever. But Sarah Silverman was nominated that night… For I Love You America. I Love You America, but specifically for Outstanding Variety Sketch Series, Mm -hmm. which is, and again, we talked a little bit about deals and brands in the last story, but I Love You America is a Hulu product. Sarah Silverman is a free agent and they would have paid her for her time and ideas and whatever, but that show, that's a Hulu win Mm -hmm. if it wins. That's not a Sarah Silverman win. She will be part of the accepting team. And of course, she's the face of it and she's going to go up and accept. Come on. But that is a Hulu win the same way that if uh, Beyonce wins an award, that's a, you know, a title win or whatnot, right? Like that's what,
0: that's who the organizing body is of that product. Yep. And I agree. Like, you know, I think that that is what we're talking about here. I just wanted to make it clear that, like, here's the equivalent in the real-life application. For her, it was a work night. You're absolutely right. For the people who just say, I need to be seen on Oscar night and show up at Vanity Fair or Elton John, they're not nominated 100%. Typically, that comes out of their own pocket. Yes. But what and who and how uh, these budgets are decided and who gets the invoice – This is a very clear situation. I don't know how the fuck up happened. Like, who in accounting was like, uh, this doesn't fall under, um, John Oliver does this thing, like, he calls it Karen from accounting or whatever. (laughs) Like, who who from accounting, like, received the invoice and was like, nope, not doing this.
1: Well, and this is the glory and the ridiculousness of... Kind of the mishmash of, of, yeah, show business versus business business. Uh, One of my favorite things I've also mentioned, I'm dragging out all the greatest hits today, is the Ask a Manager website where people write in about their work problems. And people do frequently say, oh, uh, accounting wants me to take the lowest flight, but that means I get into the host city at 4 a.m. and I'm not allowed to take a cab and I whatever. Yeah. And that is… You know, that's shrinking the budget number down to the lowest number. Yeah. But it's not
0: actually allowing that person to do their job. In the most, like, in, in a way that really, really, like, is the most effective.
1: Or even baseline effective, yeah. right? Like, let's say that the baseline effectiveness is you need to show up at a travel site with a minimum of six hours sleep. Yes. Right? So that, so getting in the night before, or whatever it is, requires that much more money, even though the flight is more expensive or whatever. Sarah Silverman, in her contract, I am absolutely sure, has a long and overwritten clause that says, and you must promote the show at the network's discretion and uh, with reasonable uh, accommodation on both sides to make agreeable appearances, blah, bling, blah, blah, blah. Part of your job is promoting the show. And that's what she was doing there. And had it won, then that would have been a win for Hulu. Mm -hmm. So she's giving up her Sunday and, you know, getting tortured in a strapless bra and whatever else in order to primarily benefit Hulu. She is a subsidiary benefactor the same way that if you work all night on a briefing or whatever, um, yes, you benefit if the company does well, and maybe your bonus is a little bigger, or hell, maybe they buy dinner that night. But the primary winner, if you go through discovery or so forth, yeah. is your company. So? So don't whine at celebrities for the high cost of hair and makeup. Uh, but also, if you're on the other side of this, because one thing I, I love about our listenership is that… You guys email us, you have some badass jobs. you are, we constantly share with each other and like look where this one came from. look where that email came from because you guys are amazing. and I understand the pressures that are on anybody who is in a supervisor capacity who manages teams of people. But at a certain point, consider whether nickel and diming, whether being persnickety about budgets and expenses, is going to
0: allow your team to do their job as best they could. You can't sparkle on a, like, red eye getting in and having to deliver the presentation, like, with two hours sleep. Yeah. If you wouldn't want to do it, then don't ask somebody else
1: to do it or find the place to cut the budget some other way. Don't go to that other conference. Nobody wants to go
0: anyway. But we hear you when you are, like, stressing about the nickel and diming of your companies. Um, We hear you. I mean, I've been through it. You've been through it. That is the frustration, having to even explain it. Yeah, Yeah. and having to justify, Yeah,
1: no, I do need this because of blah, blah reason, you know. Or sometimes if you're a freelancer, it comes in defending yourself to uh, an accountant or to tax time about, no, yeah, it is. Like TV is an actual important cable is an expense or whatever it is. Uh, Having to defend your right to do your job. Um, But I would say the rationale, if you are the kind of person who's taking it to your boss or to your manager to say, yo, I really need this, then yeah, the rationale is I need to perform for the company as well as humanly possible. And the later flight or the Uber instead of an Uber pool into the city or whatever it is, is going to allow me to do that that much better
0: for you. This is coming from two people who willingly take the red eye after forty-eight hours of not sleeping after the Oscars, so we can <laughs> get back at home in Toronto at six o'clock in the morning and Start maximize. Working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we should really talk to management about that. <laughs> yeah, um And with that, thank you so much for listening. It is
1: so much fun to read your thoughts and hear from you. We love it and. Please keep it coming.
0: Keep it coming. Keep yelling at us. You know, let us know your thoughts on Cardi B, on Saved by the Bell. Let us know your thoughts on um, nickel and diming and whatever receipts you have to submit and fight for at your day job, at your night job, all your jobs. Work hard. Show your work. And we'll be back next week. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.